Good morning and welcome to Moment of Truth and Element FM. I'm David Moses, your host, and you are listening in Toronto and Ottawa in Ottawa at 95.7 ELMNTFM and in Toronto at 106.5. You can also be listening on the Radio Player Canada app if you download the app and just type in 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7 ELMNTFM and you could be listening anywhere across Canada on your device of choice. Today we have with us Michelle Thrush. She's going to be talking about her play. She is an award-winning uh, Cree artist and uh, Gemini award-winning, by the way. And uh, her play uh, sounds very interesting. I, I really look forward to being able to see this. It's all about exploring her inner elder. And uh, she does that with clowning and buffooning and a delicate blend of those things, and the performance offers a heightened experience of the theater and an extraordinary vision of the world. Now, there is, I got to tell you this quote, because it, it's, a, it's a, quite a powerful thro- a quote to say. So, Thrush's recollection is so vivid, it sears itself into your consciousness. That's from the Calgary Herald, a master storyteller. Michelle, that's quite the statement to make about your play. So, welcome to the show, first of all. Thank you, David. It's very nice to be here. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your Cree? Uh, where did you grow up? What's the what's your background? How did you get into theater and doing this? Yeah, so I'm Cree. I've also got some French and Scottish in there, which I joke about in the show. It's mm. a comedy. Mm. <laughs> um, I grew up in Calgary. I was born in Calgary, Alberta. My family comes from Treaty 4 Territory of Saskatchewan, mm-hmm. Maple Creek, the Cypress Hills. Um, and growing up in the city was uh, quite the experience for a young brown girl in 70s, 80s. Mm. So I take that and I kind of throw it around and explore what that meant. Calgary was a very white city when I was growing up when mm. I was a kid and always felt a little bit like an outsider when, mm-hmm. I, was a, when sure. I was young. So I just um, play with that in a very funny way. So um, you said you grew up there. What led you to get into theater? Well, theater was um, second on the list. Mm. I started in film and television. Okay. I um, I loved acting when I was a little girl. And again, that's all also in my show because it's about my life. But I loved when I was a little girl getting all the kids together on the block and putting um, sheets up on the clothesline out back. And I'd walk through the center of them <laughs> and pretend I was in New York, which, yeah, I mean, it's a silly concept, but... At the time, for me, growing up with two alcoholic parents, it was my imagination that Mm. really allowed me to survive the situations Mm. that I was Mm -hmm. that I found myself in. Um, So, imagination—I didn't realize as a little girl that it would become my career. When I was about seventeen, I was going was going to um, an all-native school in Calgary called the Plains Indian Cultural Survival School for high school because I got kicked out of the other schools (laughs) that I went to. Anyways. while going there, a casting director came down from Edmonton and uh, called up our principal and said, we are looking for like a 16-year-old native actress. Would you happen to know one? And my principal said, there's one girl in mm. this school who loves acting. You got to come meet her. So they auditioned me in the math room. And I got that role. And that was my first role when I was 17. It was called Isaac Littlefeathers. It was a feature film in Edmonton. And the director was like, hey, you should think about mm. maybe mm. acting. And I was like, mm, I don't know if that's going to change the world. 
But uh, anyways, I decided to continue with it. And 30 years later here, I'm still doing it. I don't know how to do anything else. So it's what I do. Well, that's great. That's that. That sounds very cool, and and what an opportunity for that to come to you, mm-hmm. and an audition in the math class. That's that's too funny. I know it was pretty silly. <laughs> so that uh, obviously led you down that path. Where did it take you from there? Well, that was um, my first film. Like I said, I think I had just turned seventeen, um, and then the casting director at the time, her name was Betty Chadwick. She was a big casting director in mm. Alberta. She called me up and said, "Hey." Why don't you try out for this other film? And I was 18. And then from there on, you know, I um, I met a man named Gordon Tatusis, mm. who was a beautiful mm. actor. Mm. And he was um, uh, like a father figure to me. So when I was about 18, he had already been in the film industry for mm-hmm. quite a few years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he'd kicked down a lot of doors sure. for us. And he said, you know, if you want to get into this business, you need to move to Vancouver, you got to, you know, get an agent, blah, blah, blah. He gave right. me all the ropes. So I went to Vancouver and that's, um, that was back in the late eighties. And at the time there really wasn't a lot of native productions out there. Sure. So I was, you know, waitressing and doing all these other things, going in for the occasional audition here and there. And it wasn't until the nineties when things began to really open up. And my first, I guess, uh, major gig was on North of 60 mm. and I played Tom Jackson's um, love interest mm. and I eventually broke up his marriage on the show so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no that's when um, things started to, to roll a little faster great so eventually though you got into doing some live performance and this grew out of that this is as you say it's a, it's a look at your life and and the use of clowning and buffoonery not something you always hear about that Indigenous people are working with. Um, more straight-ahead kind of stuff that you hear about. But on the other hand, I am hearing more and more about this kind of thing being used and and Indigenous actors that are turning to this kind of thing. Why are you interested in that in that kind of clowning and buffoonery that you see that helps you to pull this, this, this together? Well, I guess comedy is... is always been something that I've loved. Growing up, I my biggest influence was Carol Burnett. Mm. I used to just beg to stay up to watch her and her physical comedy, and I'm sure she influenced a lot of us, right? Oh, my right? goodness, she's so amazing. Yeah. Right? And yeah. that's who I, you know, as a kid, I wanted to be like Carol Burnett. So I've, I've done a lot of comedy in my career, and this character that I'm exploring in Inner Elder the last part of the show, I do a comedy set with a, an elder mm. that I've created 20-some mm. years ago. Okay. And her name is Cook of Martha. And 20-some years ago, I started to do this. She's an old Cree woman. She is straight up. And she just reminds me so much of my own grandmother and so many you know, elder women that influenced me growing up. And uh, so I started to create this character back in the early 90s and doing comedy and hosting and emceeing with her and traveling all across Canada. Mm. And about five, no, probably about eight years ago, I created a school show with her that I would tour through schools with called Find Your Own Inner Elder. Mm. And again, it was about my life, but it was the clean, like the, yeah. the scrubbed version. Sure. Didn't involve alcoholism right. of my childhood. And then... Um, 2018, I created this particular show for the Calgary 
High Performance Rodeo, which is a really wonderful international festival. They commissioned me to write something new. So I got together with Karen Hines, who I've always wanted to work with. She's a master buffoon clown Mm. director, actor. Got together with her for five weeks in a rehearsal space and came up with this show and put it on at the rodeo. We did 17 performances there at the Lunchbox Theater Mm. and got 17 standing ovations in a row, full houses. So it was, it was, we were just like, wow, (laughs) I guess we did something okay. And uh, then since then I've, we now are touring with it. And I assume that was, that was to a mixed audience, not full uh, indigenous uh, audience in there. That was to mostly a non-native audience. Um, their their uh, audience is very much n- older. Mm. So I think that's the cool thing about Inner Elder is it really, it, it gives uh, non-native people this chance to go, wow, I did not realize that, you know, this was how Indigenous perspective was. And it's quite uh, accessible, I think, to all audiences. And the funny thing is when we do have Native people in the audience, it's a totally other show because um, my character, just she does improv. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she sure. kind of goes into it completely other right. direction. You can get into a little more and, 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 and reach those jokes that could, can relate to the, the audience a little better. Yeah. I, I'm glad you uh, expressed that because I was just going to ask you what do you think resonates with the audience and why do you think it was successful at that time, so... I'm not sure. Like I, I, I can only speculate. When I'm, I see people after the show and they come up to me, they're, and they're non-native. They usually are just like, "Wow, thank you for, you know, um, mm. sharing your story." Because it, it truly is my truth. Mm. It's what mm-hmm. it's how I grew up in Calgary, and um, I think it's for a lot of people. It might be almost like being a fly on the wall of seeing mm. the inside situation for um, myself. Again, being brown in a mostly white city, uh, going home to alcoholism. And there was a part of me when I was a little girl that thought, wow, I bet you white homes are completely like Leave it to Beaver, where they they walk in the door and the mom's standing there with a plate of fresh baked cookies. (laughs) And I would walk in the door and it would be like, you know, my dad would be drunk and there'd be like people I didn't know standing around. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I think it's it's just a, a... it's just my truth, and I don't mm. know what else to how to explain that. Because, well, just from that little description, uh, sets up a, a very interesting um, uh, idea of of the the things you can play with in, in terms of what you could bring in, in your perspective and what you things what you thought things were like on the other side, sort of. So it sounds. Uh, how long of a show is it? It runs about an hour. Okay. And uh, depending again on you know the last comedy part, if mm. I if I decide to pull in the reins or to completely cut loose with with that character, but um, the cool part too is that I always think about is that for us as Indigenous people, comedy has always been something that's really important to us. It's like this medicine that we've used, and. Mm. For my family, you know, it's like you walk into someone's house, my aunts, uncles, cousins, whoever, and there's always joking, there's always laughter. So when you think about Indigenous productions, a lot of times it's quite, it can be quite serious Mm -hmm. because we deal with so many negative statistics in Canada. But when you see Indigenous comedy, it's just, it's completely a different um, story. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's it, like you say, because of the issues, because of what has 
historically happened to indigenous people, there has to be a release. There has to be some kind of lightness. Mm-hmm. You have to have that that humor and that fun. You, you can't you can't just wallow, and, and you got to have that release. Mm-hmm. So that's so that's great. So, uh, and what about um, this is a, a one person show, a solo show, yeah. And uh, how about uh, is there is there a break in the show? Is there an intermission? No, no, it just okay. runs for one hour. Okay, it's, we just um, we just finished uh, the Uno Festival in Victoria, which is mm-hmm. a solo show festival. Mm-hmm. It it's it goes by super fast. Mm. One minute you're watching it, and the next minute you're like, <laughs> "Is that it?" Yeah. So it's 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 a one woman show. And what what could someone expect to see on stage? What kind of props or or settings do you use? Well, we keep it super simple. We've mm-hmm. got a wonderful set designed by Sandy Summers, who's a great director, film director mm-hmm. in Calgary, who also dabbles a lot in theater. So she created the set. It's quite beautiful. It's very simple. It just consists of some ropes. Mm. Um, the set is simple. It's all in the text. Is mm-hmm. and. The beautiful thing, too, about Inner Elder that um, from the very get-go, I told Karen when we were um, in rehearsals, I said, I, I don't want this to, to have any victimization in it whatsoever. Mm. Mm. So that, I think, is one of the things, too, that comes across quite well in the show is it's it's very much uh, a comedy. It's all in the text. It's all in the body, physical comedy of it. And, yeah, it's very uh, fluid in how it tells the story without victimizing anybody. And that's really nice to hear because it probably wouldn't work as well. Uh, again, talking about that, we I think we we've had a number of guests in here recently, um, and 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 uh, a, a, a young film person that was working on something, and kind of mentioning the same kind of thing. Time to move on, you know. Time to get beyond that stuff and just be ourselves and and show that side of us. So it's great to hear that. Um, uh, I'm wondering about. Uh, being a physical comedy, physical comedy, it's hard work. It's hard work, and I ain't getting any younger. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've been noticing is now when I do this character, because she's so in my body, mm. and, and, you know, she's this older woman, so mm. she's, um, I have, I, I've been, like, walking away from the show going, oh, my gosh, my body hurts from this. <laughs> And that's not good. So I was telling my stage manager, I was like, pretty soon I'm going to have to put on makeup to look young, <laughs> to do the young roles now. But no, um, physical comedy for me, once once I get into that, mm-hmm. it's really like I have to go full strength. And I love expressing myself through physical comedy. Um, that was something that Karen Hines was so wonderful with uh, as a buffoon clown artist master. Uh, she was really allowing me to just continue going forward when I was exploring this character. And I uh, I enjoy being on stage and making an absolute fool of myself. It's something that I can't get enough of. That's really interesting that you say that because, you know, that's uh, that, that means being very vulnerable making yourself vulnerable. But I think that by doing that, you also bring the audience into that vulnerability. And that probably accents the whole point of what you're trying to do and and maybe makes people feel a little awkward. And so they want to release that energy as well that they've got built up about that that awkwardness that they're carrying with them. Where did you, did you study 
that kind of work? How did you get into the, you know, the physical? I know you said you like Carol Burnett, which is probably the what a wonderful uh, person to look at and admire in terms of what she did. Um, so where did you, did you go to study somewhere for this? No, I did not. Oh. I went, this is the thing that um, I never went to university. I never mm. went to acting school. Mm. I and that, that's what I mean by I don't know how to do anything else because I didn't get any training. <laughs> I went right from high school into acting, mm. and um, it's uh, something that every single job, right up to this day, every time I do a film or I do anything, I'm continuously learning. Mm. That's my school. Sure. I've worked with some of the most incredible people in the world. I've worked with amazing directors. You know, I've had various um, moments with, you know, famous mm-hmm. L.A. actors that I have taken away so much from, as well as, you know, our own people, like working with Gary Farmer, mm. Graham Greene, Tantu mm. Cardinal, all of them. Mm. Those, to me, I call the veterans sure. because they're, they're the ones in that first generation that kicked down those sure. doors for yeah. us to walk through. Yeah. So I just look at all of the, the times that I've worked as a teaching class and I'm really, I'm quite blessed in my life that Mm. I've had so many opportunities to do what I do, but I don't, like I said, I don't know how to do anything else. So this is what I'm stuck with. (laughs) Doesn't sound like it's working out too bad for you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that's great to hear. And congratulations on all fronts in that regard. So, uh, you know, it's not exactly an easy life to be able to earn a living and keep yourself afloat in the acting end of things. Truth, man, because I raised two daughters in this business. Um, I've got my girls now are 19 and 16, and they grew up following me around (laughs) teaching classes on sets, backstage Mm. at theaters. and that's one of the things, too, that I've figured out in this career is you don't sit around and wait for the phone to ring. You create your own work. Mm. And so this is probably my fourth one-woman show that I've written through the years. Okay. And um, I usually, a lot of times when I'm writing, I make it really accessible to bring into communities. This show, not so much because it's a larger show. Mm. But my other shows, I can walk into a a gym on the reserve, Mm. set up a Mm. few tables, and do a full show. And I try super hard to use acting to um, work with Indigenous youth all over the country. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's time for us to take a short pause here on the show. So uh, for you listening to the show, I hope you will definitely stick around and come back to listen uh, to the rest of the program with Michelle Thrush. He is our guest this morning for the first half of the show. You are listening to Element FM, and this is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. We will be right back with Michelle right after this. Yeah. We just got announced in the Indigenous season. You're back on uh, Element FM and Moment of Truth. That was the voice of Michelle Thrush as we were talking off mic there just before uh, we came back to the show. Uh, Michelle is doing a one-person performance uh, about uh, inner elder. And, uh, you know, that's an interesting uh, topic or or theme to pull from right there, Michelle, in terms of uh, the inner elder. What and when did you start thinking? I know you said you created this character about 20 years ago or so, that you've been working on this character. How has inner elder... Where did she come from originally? She's just this silly spirit, I think. When I think about um, how she came to me, 
I honestly believe that as artists, we are channels. And when you're vulnerable enough and you, you know, take away ego, take away expectation and allow yourself to be as vulnerable as possible, I feel like we are able to bring in these characters. And it's happened to me a few times where they've kind of just, you know, smashed me over the head and said, give me life. Mm. And that's to me how Cook and Martha came to me. She just sort of was like, I need to be with you. And I started putting on different pieces of clothing, like a handkerchief and a sweater. And I've had the same outfit for over 25 years with her. I just keep (laughs) washing it. But um, she just sort of floated through me and demanded that that I give her life. And then when I'm on stage with her, she really just takes over and starts, she bugs the... She just goes after white people and just really <laughs> bugs them. <laughs> and I'm like, I am not responsible for what comes out of her mouth. I'm not responsible if marriages break up. It's, it's everybody wants her. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Sounds like a lot of fun for sure. Now, uh, I guess the other thing I, I was wondering about when you were when you you were uh, talking about this just before the break was the idea that. You know, we talked about your vulnerability uh, in doing this and exposing, you know, a part of yourself gets out there that you're you're presenting. Um, We talked about the demand that this is because it it is a physical, there's a physical element of what you're doing with this play of Inner Elder and the buffoonery that is involved and how hard that is. Physical physical, um, comedy is, is difficult to do and it does take a toll on you. For sure. But, you know, the other thing that I hear, and you mentioned you mentioned this to some degree, and that was that this is sounds also educational. There's an education side of this that comes through in the in the humor and the comedy, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And um and I see you're nodding and you're saying yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you elaborate on that? Um, yeah, we, we actually have some matinees happening. The show goes on at Native Earth. We open on Wednesday night, and it's a Native Earth Nightwood co-production. Mm. But um, the educational part, I feel, for um, right now is just allowing people to understand that one thing for me in, in the this show is growing up with two alcoholic parents. One thing that I say in the show near the end is, my parents did the best they could with the tools that they had. Mm-hmm. And that was that's a big realization for me. Um, I know when I was a kid, nobody really spoke about what it meant to grow up in an alcoholic home. And how nowadays when I'm working with, you know, whether it's Native or non-Native youth, I speak about that a lot. Mm. And sometimes you feel like a freak because mm-hmm. you don't realize that, you know, it's such a hidden disease a lot of times, and mm-hmm. growing up in that environment, you you carry a lot of secrets. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to expose that to mm-hmm. young people so that they understand that it's not their fault that their right. parents are like that. Right. There's a huge amount of trauma mm-hmm. that comes along Absolutely. with it, and that's something I look at a lot. Um, and that you know you're not a freak. Mm-hmm. We as you know children of alcoholics, we learn how to adapt, how to survive, how to shape shift very quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's how we survive. So to me, that's one of the things that I really want to 
bring to the very forefront is that, you know, it's important for us to be able to let go of those secrets and to mm. say it's it's okay. Mm. I survived it and mm-hmm. I didn't realize, you know, that one of the things I talk about in the show too is that I won a Gemini for playing a chronic alcoholic on a show called Blackstone. Mm. And that's, you know, I didn't realize I would be studying that character up close my whole yeah, life sure. in my family. You right. know, it wasn't just my parents, it was my grandparents, yeah. it was my aunts and uncles. Yeah. And as a kid, I was always like, why are they, why do they have to drink? Mm-hmm. Why is that more important than being with me? Mm. But now I understand that it was a form of surviving mm. trauma. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you look at Dr. Gabor Mate, who's somebody I have such huge respect for, and that's something he looks at is all addiction comes from trauma. Sure. So that, you know, that's something that has um, kept us alive is using that for my parents, you know, using that alcohol to numb out pain. Yeah. But that kept them alive. And now me as a parent, I have two daughters. I know that I I needed to do a better job than my mom and dad did. And then hopefully my girls, when Mm -hmm. they become parents, will do a better job than I did. And that's about healing that intergenerational Yeah. Uh, Trauma. And you just mentioned intergenerational trauma, a huge thing that I think we are still on the on the cusp of of learning about and how that affects generation after generation after generation, regardless of whether you were you were directly affected by the residential school system. It it gets passed down. And um, and and so you're absolutely correct. And and I think we all want to want to do better. I think that in recognizing that intergenerational trauma and how it affects things, that uh, that it it helps us be aware of how to do better and what we can do next to help combat that and get over it and move beyond. Um, the other thing, though, you know, in terms of speaking about um, alcoholism and alcohol uh, addiction, it's not it's not specifically uh, um, um, just an indigenous. <laughs> problem it's around the world and many many people suffer from it in yes. all kinds of uh, nationalities and groups and 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 uh, so we, we should we, you know I always want to I, I just want to say that that yes there is an issue that 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 everyone knows about and that we we hear about on the show about people my own father uh, so I, I uh, you know I, I just think that we need to understand though this isn't this isn't specific just to indigenous people other it's people not. deal with this for sure. For me, I think about when I think about addiction, I, I honestly feel like it's about disconnection, mm. not only from the land, mm-hmm. which is a human thing, mm-hmm. but from each other, from our parents. It's, it's you know, this feeling of disconnection from the world mm. around you. Mm. And that's something Dr. Gabor Mate also explores is um, not bonding is a huge part. We are meant to bond and to be with each other as human beings. And when you displace anybody, that's something I feel is a huge part of addiction is displacement. Well, it sounds like you've done some research or some reading on this topic. So uh, has that has that research, uh, mentioning this as Dr. Uh, uh, Gabor, Gabor Mate, Mate um, has that helped you, uh, it sounds like it has, helps you to understand this and 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 work better with your children around this issue? 
Yeah, in our home, you know, speaking about these kinds of things is common. Mm. Whereas when I was a kid, obviously yeah. nobody spoke about it. Again, it was those secrets mm-hmm. that layer upon layer of, you know, we don't talk about my dad's alcoholism, my mom's alcoholism, my grandparents. Mm. It was a shameful thing, mm-hmm. and I grew up feeling less than mm-hmm. the, the average human being in Canada who was non like white. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember growing up feeling like this certain look I would get from people that they would look down on me. And even though it wasn't any words that they said to me that you are less than because you're brown, Mm -hmm. there was a look that I would get. And it put me into this space of feeling like I don't, I'm not valuable. Mm -hmm. I'm not (laughs) as the same as other human beings Mm -hmm. because of the color of my skin, because of the culture. And, and as I got older and began to unravel all of this, um, I understood that, you know, there's a huge history. And that's what came out of Truth and Reconciliation also, Mm -hmm. is just Mm -hmm. the truth Mm -hmm. of what the history is of this country and Mm -hmm. why so many of our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents were damaged. Mm -hmm. And so now with my daughters, I'm able to speak about this in a way that they get it. Mm -hmm. You know, my my daughter's often talking about her grandmother's back to the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. And that's a concept that I speak about in the show is how I've called in these grandmothers Mm. who are these beautiful, incredible spirit beings who walk with me all the time. Mm. And I'm, you know, like just last week I was having a really bad day, you know, one of those days and I was crying and my 19 year old was like, mom, you got to listen to your own words. You know how you (laughs) talk about how you're not alone in this world. Mm. You carry the spirits of all of your grandparents. And I was like, you're right. Thank you for reminding me of that because I can get caught up in my, yeah. you know, in my own head too. Sure, we all can. And that's what's wonderful uh, about sharing these things and realizing things, becoming aware of these things and, and moving them forward. So uh, I appreciate you sharing that. That's, that's a really beautiful comment. And I'm sure other people can benefit from, from that as well. Now, the other thing that you also mentioned when I was, we were talking about uh, uh, matinees that you mentioned for educational purposes that you can bring that to students and, and things like that. But I think that there's a there's a a teaching element within the show itself. I'm, I'm guessing mm-hmm. as well, right? Because of this, and and I guess that's what I was talking about. Because you said you also work with youth. I think. Mm-hmm. How do you work with youth? Well, I've been doing that for over twenty years, and that to me actually is the most, the best part of what I do mm. as an artist is bringing it back to the community. It's not, you know, we've got, you know, the red carpets and the high profile stuff yeah. we do as actors. Mm. But to me, the best part is when I go into communities and I work with indigenous youth all across the country and it's not, you know, showcased on social media, mm. but I do therapeutic healing through clowning. Okay. And that's something I've been doing for 16 years now. I'm a trained therapeutic clown. So I take an indigenous clown character that I created named Majika, and I go into communities and I work with three to seven-year-old children, and it's about identifying with our feelings inside of our bodies and being able to use our words to speak those feelings out loud. A lot of times when you grow up in alcoholism or chaos or dysfunction, you learn to shut your emotions down as a child. Mm. And sometimes, you know, our children can become numb, Mm. And so what I do is I bring this character and she's about laughter and imagination and love. And I talk about, you know, creating stories with these little ones and they use their their imaginations 
to tell stories and I act them out, whether that means a dinosaur pooping from the sky and landing on me and <laughs> whatever they tell me, I act it out. And then the other parts again is, you know, just I act out emotions mm. and they use, you know, they put their hands up and they say, you're feeling happy or you're feeling sad or you're feeling mad. And we explore what that feels like in our bodies. Mm. So that's one of the things um, I do with youth. And then the other one is the other component of this show, the school version. Um, again, it's, you know, introducing this whole idea of being able to identify that we are storytellers. Mm. We have been storytellers for thousands of years, oral tradition. Right. And that whole concept, when I bring that up with, you know, Indigenous youth, they're like, wow, yeah, you're right. And they seem to just absolutely go forward in such a wonderful way when they own that. Mm. And so it's about, you know, saying we all have stories mm. inside of us, every single one of Absolutely. us. And the ability to bring that story alive. Uh -huh. And whether that's for an audience of two people or, you know, a thousand people, we have to be able to have permission to speak our stories of survival, whether we're Native or non-Native or anybody. It's about that permission to say, this is what I've been through. I want to share this with you as my friend or with you as an audience. That idea of permission is uh, something I, we had an artist in here, a musical artist a, a while back. And um, one of the things he, he said was that <laughs> he came to the realization that, you know, hey, I, I don't need anybody's permission. Mm -hmm. I don't need anybody. I can just do this. Yeah. Right? And and that's what we all need to to realize is that we can just do it. If that's what you're being called to do, then we should all be doing that. Mm -hmm. Because um, you know, I heard a I heard something at a conference once, and it actually it actually moved me uh, to tears. And people were looking at me like I was crazy, uh, sitting there next to them. It was a room of about a thousand people, mm -hmm. and. It had nothing to do with what this comment was made by this person on the stage. It was, had to do more with the idea of, of how to, uh, um, the, the whole conference was more about uh, financial gain and how can you improve your you know, financial success and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And this, this guy, at some point, I don't know why he said this, he said, if you have a, a talent or a gift that you are not sharing you are doing yourself and the world a disservice. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it, I think that, you know, in terms of the story that you were talking about, I think that we all, there's a lot of us hold back on the things that we're being called to do or being asked to do, and we don't do it if we, and we don't act on it. And usually it's only that first step that is the worst step to take it. And we expect something Oh, it's going to get slammed, or we're going to get—we're not going to be successful. We're not going to do it, and usually it never works out that way. It's our own imagination going back and working against us, and and thinking that we're going to lose. Just like we, we were talking about, I'm less than. I can't do this. I'm not. You know. Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. I totally agree with you. So, um, so it's great to hear uh, what you're doing, and and I mean, we're going to take a break, and we will be right back with Michelle Thrush. Welcome back to Element FM and Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. We are speaking with Michelle Thrush. She is uh, doing a one-person performance called Inner Elder. And we have some dates to tell you about that are coming up. And I see that um, 
you know, we have uh, the Thursday of May 9th. And uh, Michelle, where where did you say this is being done at the Nightwood Theater? No, at Native Earth Theater, which okay. is the um, Aki, I believe it's called, A-K-I, mm-hmm. the right. Aki Studio. Yes, 585 Dundas Street East. Um, so it's running from May 8th until the 12th. So uh, you can uh, you can certainly check that out and, and, and go to see her performance if you're in this area. Now after this, where are you going after this? What's going on for you? Um, well, with this show, I'm pretty much done this tour. This is the last part of our mm. tour here. And then next uh, spring, I'm going to be at the National Arts Centre. Yeah. Part right. of the Indigenous season, which I'm That's super great. excited about. And we were just talking about that on the air. And it is a very exciting time. Uh, it's unfortunate that some uh, funding has been uh, pulled out from underneath the bottom of it. But still, uh, looks like a very exciting time. Uh, for that whole that whole new department. So congratulations mm-hmm. on that. Thank you. Yeah, and then after I'm done this run here, I'm sticking around Toronto for a week. Mm. I'm um, I've been invited on to the set of a CBC show called Tall Boys that's being directed mm-hmm. by Bruce McCullough. Okay. And I'm going to be shadowing under him oh, nice. as a director. Wow. I've got three projects coming up in the next two months where I'm going to be shadowing film directing. So that's my next move. So you see, you've been holding back. You've been holding off on us, Michelle. You see, when I said, you said, this is all I know how to do. It isn't all you know how to do. (laughs) You're teaching, Mm -hmm. right? You teach youth. I mean, you're a a certified clown Mm -hmm. instructor. So come on, you've got other things going for you. And now you're, you're shadowing, you're working in the production, moving up into that area. So you're expanding on in this. Listen, what a, what a wonderful world that you're being you know, able to make a living from and expand within. Some, that's a great opportunity. You have to be able to expand, yeah. hey? Yeah, because you can't stay still. And that's, again, the reason why I got into writing and performing my shows is mm. just, it's a constant evolving yes. career. Sure. And you got to learn the skills as you right. go along. Yeah, yeah, very true. Um, is there anything else? I really liked what you were saying about how you, you took... Uh, what you you're doing with with youth and expanding with the youth and as you said that's the that's sort of the thing that really makes you feel alive and and really helps because it's passing things along and it's helping get these kids come out of their shell and and teaching them something uh, that it's okay to be uh, themselves and okay to um, not feel less than mm-hmm. right yeah uh that's that's wonderful we we need more people of course that are doing that to to pass and that I, along i get so inspired mm. you know it's uh difficult when you, you know you hear about all the negative stuff yeah. all the time about you know statistics and suicides and yep. all that stuff that we deal with all the time and then you go to community and you see these young people who you know are creating their own thing they're rapping they're doing all these amazing things and you're Mm. like wow Mm. the you know the world is a good place and our kids are so resilient Mm -hmm. and they're you know when i watch what uh, what's coming out of communities with indigenous youth it just it makes my heart feel so good and that's that's how i get filled up Mm. right because otherwise you know you can just give 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 as an artist but then you get these beautiful gifts back watching children and youth and what they do in community is it blows my mind it's like i i'm so honored mm. and you say you have two daughters and uh, you raise them in this mm-hmm. in this uh, way of life which is wow congratulations once again yeah. that's uh, that's something to be able to do 
What would you say to other people who might be interested or maybe have some young children of their own but have aspirations to follow you and do the same kind of work that you're doing? Is there any advice you could give them in terms of how to how to deal with the daily the day to day and and get through this stuff? Yeah, um, I do a lot of work with parenting, mm. and I'm not you know I'm not a hundred percent amazing parent. I fall down. I have my problems, sure. but I learn. And something I always talk about with um, with our young parents is how important it is to be, to be present, to give our kids our time. Our children are our greatest natural resource yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. And what you invest into them is investing into the future of our, our people. And for me as a parent, I am all about if I screw up, I say, you know what, sweetie, I'm, I'm human. Mm. I'm learning. There's been a lot of times where I've just been like at the, you know, falling down because I, it's like for me, I often talk about, it's like pulling straws. I grew up, if, if you come see Inner Elder, you'll understand that I grew up without a mother in my home. My father, they were both alcoholics. She mm. didn't live with us. He was, you know, a functioning alcoholic. But I did not receive the proper tools of how to be a mother. And it scared the crap out of me when I was pregnant with my first daughter, Imagine. Her name's Imagine. Mm. Um, I I was so afraid that I was going to do it wrong, and I went through every single book I could find about Mm. parenting. Mm. I reached out to, you know, other women and, you know, positive, healthy women in my family. I was like, I need to know how to do this, how to do this, fill in the voids, fill in the blanks. And... Um, and it was, it's a very scary time, Sure is. but you, you figure it out and you fall down and you, you hurt yourself a few times being a parent, that's Mm. for sure. But for my daughters, I just try and be super honest and just say, you know, I don't know what I'm doing sometimes. Mm. Mm. I don't know, especially because I'm an only child. I've got two girls. I'm, you know, there's times when they're fighting and I'm like, do I get involved here? Do I, you know, do I... Not physically, but you know what I mean. Emotionally, <laughs> sure. they're yeah. fighting, they're screaming at each other. And right. I'm like, oh my gosh, I never had siblings. Right. So I don't know. And and then they're like, stay out of it, mom. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, so they teach me so sure. much. Sure. I, I couldn't agree with all those statements. Uh, I had to chuckle just a little bit when you said I grew up without a mom. And I had the same thing happen. But on the other side, I hadn't had no father figure at all. Mm-hmm. And so when I became a dad, it was like, yeah, what am I supposed to do? How, how do I, what am I, what's a dad? What, you know? So I felt, I feel the same thing and I, I experienced that same motion. But, but the one thing that I, I think that is, is also vitally important is that you, you know, like it's like anything else. You have to be ready to be a parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you really do. And, and to hear you talk about how do I now, you know, what do I need to learn? How, what book do I read? How do I get to, to learn this stuff? That's, you know, um, the one thing I'll, all I knew is that uh, maybe you felt this as well. I was going to be there for my kids, mm-hmm. no matter what. Yeah, That's bottom line. Didn't care about anything else. You know, the world could fall apart. Um, I mean, my business could fall apart. Anything, but I was going to be there for my kids. Exactly. And the other thing too is that sometimes we say, "Oh, we're not ready. We're not ready financially. We're not mm-hmm. ready emotionally mm-hmm. to be parents." I was. I remember an elder saying to me one time, "Is." I don't know if you're ever ready. Yeah. They choose you. That's right. Right? And That's they, right. they, when they're ready, mm-hmm. you just accommodate that, yeah. right? Yeah. So, 
you know what's interesting? If, if I can just go off Please on do. a little tangent for a bit personally. I remember when my son was about to be born and I was terrified. Like you said, you know, am I going to be able to do this? And you just mentioned something that is, is of course, uh, our perspective on, and the children choosing us. And I, I remember I was driving down the street and it's like clear as a bell. And I heard his voice. And he said, it's going to be okay. And I couldn't believe it. I heard it clear as a bell. And I went, wow, okay, I'm, that's cool. I'm, I'm good with that, you know. Yeah. So it was so cool to hear. And I knew it was his voice. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. yeah. It's true. Sometimes our, I know I have to be super aware with my daughters that I don't put them into a position of being a parent sometimes, mm. right? Where you're like trying to get advice from them. I have to be, no, I'm the parent. Mm. But... My daughters often, I feel like they're these old souls and they feed me oh, with yeah. things and I'm always like so grateful yeah. for that. But I have to always be aware, you yeah. know, do not, because I went through that with my dad mm. where I was often the parent mm-hmm. and he was often, you know, the child that mm-hmm. I was taking care of, which I joke about in mm-hmm. my, my mm-hmm. show also. Mm-hmm. It's, I raise my parents. Right. Right. So that's something I have to be super aware of with my daughters is not putting them in that position of expecting them to parent me. And we do learn so much from our children. Oh, the biggest <laughs> gift of my life is my daughters, I'm yeah. telling you, man. Yeah, I hear you. I couldn't have said it better. I just want to add to that, too, yeah. that I think a lot of where Inner Elder came from is because there was this whole um, thing happening in society where we were always talking about our inner child. Mm. You know, find your inner child, yes. explore your inner child. <laughs> right. And I'm like, what <laughs> about our act. inner elder, right? We need to look at that too and explore that part of us. Yeah. I I don't know if this has ever happened to you where you're giving advice to somebody, like a friend's mm. boyfriend broke up with her. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, you got to think about this. You're such a valuable woman. Mm. But then you get to this place where you're giving advice and you're like, where did that come from? Mm. I just told mm. her something that was quite mature and responsible, <laughs> and I should take that advice too. But that, to me, right. is your inner elder right. talking. Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good one for sure. I think we can all relate to that. Um, we talked to, to some degree also about the performance style and the techniques of storytelling with comedy. Yeah, I think that you know, if you come see the show, you're going to just be taken on this journey of um, what uh, what it's like for a young girl to, to use imagination to survive. People are going to hopefully laugh a lot when they're watching it, as well as feel on a really deep level of, in you know, in their hearts. I think that's really what art is about, is when you can feel something in your heart. So I'm hoping that, you know, I can affect people in a way that allows them to feel on a heart level. Well, it sounds like you are. I hope so. Um, do you know what you're going to be doing at the NAC? Like, what are you you're just going to be part of the ensemble that, that puts things together? Or do you know anything more about that? Or? Yeah, they've released their season. I'm mm-hmm. part of the season. So it's um, in April of 2020. I'm yep. going to be bringing my show there. Ah. Uh, they've got uh, some amazing things coming yes. up, though. Hot Brown Honey. Have you <laughs> seen them? Twice. Oh, <laughs> I'm like addicted to those women. That's such a great show. It's so oh, much fun. It's the best. And they've also got um, Unnatural and Accidental on their season, which mm. is uh, Marie Clements. I did the film back okay, in, yeah. um, I don't know what year mm. we did the film, but that's a beautiful theatrical performance that's coming up. Mm. They've got a really great season happening. Mm. Mm. 
you know, when you said uh, hot brown honey, uh, their catchphrase about uh, moisturize and decolonize. That's <laughs> such a great line. I know, I say and that a lot. And this production or this this could not have happened without childcare. <laughs> That's <laughs> another great line. And it's so true. I love it. I yeah. love that, that, how they bring that realistic element into it, you know, to realize, yeah, we're doing this, but hey, we're moms. Yeah. We got to raise kids. You know? yeah, I think, you know, performance is just absolutely revolutionary, mm. especially with uh, Indigenous people. Mm. Like we explore things that normally aren't spoken about in, in mm. conversations. Mm. That's this, uh, I directed, um, co-directed a show called Making Treaty 7 here in Canada, yeah. which was also at, the, at NAC. And that, I, I feel like all of us as artists, we, we, we take these topics that aren't uh, spoken about regularly and we put them on stage and, and just hopefully bring effect to people. Mm. That's what I love about watching the arts and mm. Hot Brown Honey stay, has stayed with me since the moment I saw it a couple mm. of years ago. I'm just mm. always like, I want to do something like that. Mm. You know, we're, we're getting close to the end of our time and we've, I, I've had a great, uh, great time. I, I'm so happy that you, you were able to, to come and join us today and tell us about the show you know, I think if you don't mind, um, can you share with us a little bit more about some of the things and some of the people you've worked with? Because I think that, you know, maybe some people uh, aren't aware of, of of some of the paths and some of the things that you have uh, had the pleasure of doing that have brought uh, you brought to the screen with some some pretty good people that you've worked with in the past. And uh, you're telling me, uh, you know, you spent some time on Six Nations when you were working on some stuff here in this area. Um, you know, you've worked with Gary Farmer, you know, I mean, we had Elaine Bombery and Marie Porter on the show in the very early uh, parts of this. And of course, I know Elaine and Bombery from, from the time on Six Nations as well and, uh, and what I did there. So um, uh, who else have you had the pleasure of working with? And could you name some other projects that you've, you've worked on? Um, okay, so film. I've been doing it for 30 years. I've been super, super blessed. Um, I've done, um, well, of course, I, I think I've probably worked with almost everybody in the mm. Native mm. <laughs> community yeah. in film and television. Um, played Adam Beach's sister on Arctic Air. We've done a few different projects together. Um, you know, Gary Farmer, mm. me and him have worked together a lot. Right. Uh, Gordon Tatusis, Tantu, mm. played my mom on Blackstone. Mm. Gordon was on there before he passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I feel like, you know, I, it's an honor to share any space with them. I've also, in the non-Native world, I've worked with some amazing people. Jim Jarmusch directed Dead mm-hmm. Man, which we shot mm-hmm. back in the day mm-hmm. with Johnny Depp. Yep. Got to hang out with Johnny uh, offset, you know, later in my life. We, we got to hang out a lot. Um, Benicio Del Toro, I worked on a film with him a few years ago called Jimmy P, a uh, director out of France named... Um, uh, Arnaud Desplechon, who is a big name in the Cannes Festival. Our film got to go to Cannes. It was one of the 10 uh, nominated films at the Cannes Fest. So myself and late Misty Upham, who passed away. She was a Blackfeet actress from the States. But the two of us walking on that red carpet at Cannes Festival was a huge honor back in 2014 uh, alongside Benicio Del Toro. 
Um, you know, there's been some really beautiful things that I've been able to be a part of through the years. Blackstone. Mm. I just finished um, the last two seasons of a TV series called Tin Star beside Tim Roth and Christina Hendricks. Uh, that was amazing. I, it, it's been a long career. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, and I'm just, yeah, I love, again, you know, I love doing theater also. Yeah. Directed the, um, a beautiful uh, a beautiful theater piece called Honor Beat, which opened up Theater Calgary's season this year with um, amazing female Indigenous actresses in it. And yeah, just I've I'm just really lucky to be able to have done everything I've done. I'm going to write a book someday about it all. <laughs> Good for you. Sounds like you should. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, just in the in the last year, you've you've also been nominated and uh, and also received some awards for your inner elder. I'm guessing because uh, the 2018 Betty Award for yourself, Michelle Thrush, for outstanding performance. Uh, by an actress in a drama. You've uh, been nominated uh, for Outstanding New Play. You've been nominated for Outstanding Production and a winner uh, of the Outstanding Performance by an Actress again for two, for mm-hmm. the Ability Award. So congratulations on those. Thank you. It's it's nice to be um, recognized for these things. Yeah. And the work that you put into it. Yeah, yeah. it is. It's, a, it's often, you know, it's often a lonely trail when uh-huh. you're, when you're, working in the this industry. Yeah. And to be recognized by your peers is a wonderful thing. So I'm I'm quite excited mm. about that. Anything else you want to add, Michelle, before we uh before we wrap things up here today? No, I'm just hoping that uh, we get a great audience here in Toronto. I think people are um wanting to support indigenous theater, so we're going to be having uh, hopefully full houses every night at Native Earth. Thank you to Native Earth and to Nightwood. You guys have been amazing. And also, I just got to put a little shout out to my stage manager, Simran, who's working hard at the theater right now, setting up lights and focusing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And there is always that, isn't there? It's, it's never uh, a one, uh, it's never um, just a single person that pulls this stuff together. It's no. a lot of creative minds and things. It takes so a team. It does take a team. And so if you're interested, from May 8th to 12th at the Aki Studio, 585 Dundas Street East, you can check out Inner Elder with Michelle Thrush. I want to thank her for coming in today and uh, and taking part in the show. Miigwech. Hi, hi. I also want to say nyawa miigwech wanishi and thank you to everyone who helps put Moment of Truth together. They include in Ottawa, Jill Kennedy, Aidan Wolf, and Caroline O'Neill. In Toronto, Janet Lamb, Andrew Johnson, Luca Capone, Kathy Zabokin, Bruce Barber, Andrew St. Germain. Nyawa miigwech and thanks for listening. This show was brought to you in part by APTN.